Welcome to Diffuse Congruence. My name is Zaki Hassan. I'm here with Pervez Ahmed, and this is the American Muslim Experience. Hey, Zaki. Welcome uh, to be welcome, listeners, and uh, good to be back with you. It's it's been a while. Yeah, we're actually here in the studio. This has been a while because we've been on the road, as it were. We're Yeah, like three live shows in a row. Yeah, three live shows in a row. uh, Two in Michigan, and then the one right here in the Bay, but at Talif. Yeah. So it's good to be back in the studio. Our man Dre behind the behind the scenes there. So here here at uh, Hub Nine Two Five in Pleasant, California. Always grateful to have the space available. Always grateful to Dre being in the room. That's right. That's right. Um, And so for us, Eid came a little early. So Eid Mubarak, Eid Kareem, Eid Saeed, Happy Eid whatever your greeting of choices. Word. <laughs> and uh, I say Eid came early for us because I'm super excited about today's guest. Yes. Because this is a conversation I've been wanting to have, and I think we couldn't, we couldn't have found a better guest to have that conversation We didn't need with. to make three wishes. <laughs> this was our first wish. You're tipping the hat a little, but yes. yeah, there you go. Have you seen Aladdin yet? I have not seen Aladdin yet. You've um, seen the cartoon. Yes, I have, of yeah. course. Uh, whether Muslim or not Muslim, it's one of those things. I don't know. I I was in eighth grade when mm-hmm. Aladdin came out, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know I feel like every every Muslim kid who grew up in that time frame right. had to answer the the Aladdin question like, oh, do you guys have magic lamps? And do, you know, <laughs> right, right. If I was called Aladdin, that would have been the the better end like oh, hey yeah, hey right. aladdin i'd be like that's okay it was worse things to be called worse things to be called at that know? time yeah because well here's the thing i think this goes to something which is that when i was growing up i got two questions number one do you have magic lamps magic carpets and also do you have uh eyeball soup and chilled monkey brains? oh yeah there you go so which goes <laughs> to the general cultural confusion that pervades the west where all brown people right do all well first of all no brown people eat eye- eyeball soup let me <laughs> let me clarify that <laughs> Indiana Jones is wrong, right. but you know uh, that that was a thing growing up, and so now we have the live action uh, uh, adaptation of Disney's Aladdin. And I, I this is the important clarification: this is Disney's adaptation of Disney's Aladdin. <laughs> right. It's not a historical document. There you go. That's meant to represent, and Agrabah is not a real place. That's right. It's also worth pointing out. Right. Uh, no more than is the live action version of Cinderella or Beauty and the Beast historical historical pieces. Uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> or the, or it's, the it's not true line to the came. historical there, beast, yeah. yeah exactly. But but I mean this this is important because because this movie came out the new one I mean and it made you know uh, uh, a lot a lot of dollars Aladdin dollars a uh, hundred million plus really? over over so, the so, over the opening weekend big hit. So big they're hit. happy. They're happy and, with and the numbers. Yeah, and so the conversations surrounding the film have been very interesting because uh, specifically within the 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 Arab community, the Muslim community. Uh, brown people communities. Uh, it's been, it's been. Uh, I've I've heard all sides. Yeah, and I'm neutral. I'm Switzerland when it comes to this whole conversation. Uh, but I, you have not seen it yet. I have not seen it yet, and uh, but but I intend to. Um, uh, I, I'm one of those uh, 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 crazy Muslims who, who who goes on a little bit of a uh, um, what's the word? Um, Take a little bit of a uh, a movie hiatus. A movie hiatus. Thank you. That's right. So a fat. So, but I but I do plan on visiting it. My my kids. So my sixteen year old daughter saw it and she loved it. Uh, but that may be good just uh, probably at her age. She just probably finds the actor playing Aladdin dreamy. So that's probably what it is. Sure. Anything else? Uh, mi- uh, Mina Masood. 
Okay, that's his name? Yes. Right, right. I find uh, Will Smith dreamy, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, I don't want to bury the lead here, and uh, we, we do want to bring in our guest, who I'm super excited about. Um, and, and one thing I want to kind of throw out there in the ether, and then maybe re- re- revisit this conversation with our guest, which is what I find interesting about a lot of the conversations that happened around Aladdin, whether it was the live-action remake or the original cartoon film is certainly about portrayals and stereotypes of Middle Eastern, uh, of people of Middle Eastern descent, of Muslims, and so on. But what's interesting is the Jungle Book, hmm. right, which is also, a, they've, they've done the cartoon and then the live action remake. Now, Rudyard Kipling was a English colonizer in India. Yeah. And, 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 and the book, the, the Jungle Book, is a metaphor of the white man's burden, white civilization coming in and, you know, and, and doing all, you know, yeah, so about, I think, those stereotypes. But yet you don't find that conversation happening around the Jungle Book, which mm. is a very problematic text to begin with. Um, although I guess Disney can say, well, this is just a cartoon adaptation and hence the live action version is a remake of the cartoon. I mean, I, I would argue that, and I uh, certainly the live action one, it moves pretty far afield from Kipling. Yeah. And certainly, I don't get a you know the the white man's burden uh, right sir. Uh, subtext that's right that's been drained out of it right, right. so I mean it, in a sense it's that's adaptation done right arguably at least if we're talking about uh, hi- historical context yeah uh, I think Netflix did a version called Mowgli which Mowgli. I think is a little that's bit right. more problematic yeah, yeah Andy Serkis directed Andy Serkis directed it and straight to online, straight to, straight to Netflix yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. So our guest for this episode, uh, who I'm very excited to have joining us, uh, wrote an article exactly about uh, yeah. about Aladdin and uh, the the nuanced uh, conversation that that can and should be had surrounding the film, both acknowledging the pluses and the minuses. Uh, she is Evelyn Al Sultani. She is a leading expert on the history of representations of Arabs and Muslims in the U.S. media and on forms of anti-Arab and anti-Muslim racism. She's associate professor in the Department of American Studies and Ethnicity at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and her research contends with the fraught cultural politics of Arab and Muslim identities in the contemporary U.S. through an interdisciplinary approach that draws from media and cultural studies, race and ethnic studies, gender studies, and Arab and Muslim American studies. Dr. Al-Sultani, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you both for having me. Assalamu alaikum. And happy yeah, thank you. Happy to you as well, and uh, th- thank you for putting up with our banter. Uh, um, that, we had, we kind of had a little bit of a, a longer stretch of banter. Typically, we kind of <laughs> launch right into our guests, but I think uh, I think the, I think the show and the conversation that we hope to have kind of I, I missed out. you, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. Uh, uh, and I, I should also mention, I think in the bio, I, I, um, uh, whether it was not whether or not it was highlighted, but um, I, I'd love to kind of you know if you've heard the show, you kind of know we we like to kind of start off with the origin story. So maybe you know before we launch into the full fledged conversation around representation and stereotypes. And, and Hollywood and, you know, media portrayal of Arabs and Muslims. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your background. I know uh, I've listened to your TED Talk, so I know you have a very interesting background that I, I'd love to kind of talk about first. Yes, yeah, so I was born and raised in New York City. Mm-hmm. And my father was from Iraq. And he was a Muslim Shia from Iraq. He came to the United States in the 1960s. Okay. And my mom uh, was from Cuba and uh, Cuban Catholic, and she came uh, right after the Cuban Revolution in the early 1960s. Uh, she passed away when I was little, and my father remarried my stepmother, who's from Colombia, Catholic, and she raised me since I was six. And so I, w- I grew up in a very uh, 
multi-culti, multi-religious household, mm-hmm. but it was very much a Muslim household. So my stepmom learned all the prayers in Arabic, you know, she wow. was down with the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but my father was very religiously flexible, obviously, since he married two Catholic women. <laughs> <laughs> two Catholic uh, of, of Latin background. Latin, too, so yeah, yeah, that yeah. too. <laughs> like, a type maybe yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right so when i was growing up um though he was very active in in fundraising for the al-hui mosque in queens uh we would regularly go to church and uh you know while my stepmom was doing the sign of the cross we'd be Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, you know sitting in the pews and mm-hmm. doing it that way Right. So I, I imagine just growing up that way um, in a very, like you said, multicultural, multi-religious even household, um, you know, but at the same time sort of dealing with, I guess, um, you know, stereotypes at a very early age, just given that kind of, you know, background, because your father was of Iraqi descent and your, you know, your, your, whether it was your, you know, your Cuban mother or, you know, your stepmom being Colombian, right? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, they're not uh, exactly, uh, you know, free from stereotypes either. So, yeah, how, how was that growing up? In you know, but of, of course, in the context of Queens, which I imagine is pretty, um, you know, multicultural as you know, in terms of a context. You froze for me for a moment. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, one of the stories that I share on that TED Talk is that uh, when I was growing up, my parents would lie about where they were from. And that wow. was a very formative experience for me. Uh, my father really wanted to fit in. He was sick and tired of uh, questions about terrorism. My stepmother was asked about cocaine all the time. And so as a young girl, I have two distinct memories around identity. One was that my father, whose, his name was Kamal, and he went by Ken for about a decade. And then he went back to Kamal. But I remember as a six-year-old, the first time I heard him introduce himself to someone as Ken, I burst out laughing, thinking, who's Ken? Hmm. You know, Ken is Barbie's boyfriend. This is my dad. Who, you know, what is he doing? And the other memory I have, which was something that happened all the time, so it wasn't just one memory, but it was just part of our story, was we'd be out and people would come up and say, where are you from? Who are you? Where are you from? Such a, you know, this common question. And Mm -hmm. my father would say he was from Turkey. I suppose he thought Turkey had a better reputation in the United States than Iraq. And my stepmom would say she was from Spain. Hmm. And uh, as a child, I just wondered why would they lie about where they're from? And I later realized that when they did say where they were from, they would get all sorts of very invasive and assumptive questions about how they make their money. And uh, they just didn't want to deal with that every single day of their lives. But that definitely informed for me yeah. uh, later on, you know, what I've come to study and uh, devote my life to. You know, what I find interesting, I mean, just your, your, your father's experiences in particular, because, I mean, he, he came here at, at a time where, you know, even, like, well, even if we flash forward into the 80s, the, the, the boogeyman was Iran and Iraq was sort of our ally and Saddam Hussein was our ally and he was fighting the good fight uh, against Ayatollah Khomeini. So, so, you know, in spite of that foreign policy context of sort of the ally, yet he still sort of was dealing and contending with that, with just the, I guess, the stereotypes around being, um, being Arab, and, and of Middle Eastern background, correct? 
Yeah, I, I feel like after 9-11, we've been able to have a very explicit conversation about the experiences of both Arabs and Muslims and racialization in the United States, but many talk about it as if it's new. And growing up, it, my, my father was dealing with it con constantly, as many others were at the time. Uh, so he was very, like, on the one hand, he was very serious about being Muslim and, you know, contributing to mosque building. And on the other hand, he definitely learned along the way that religion is something you do privately. Religion is something you do at home. Mm. You don't do it in public. And um, he, you know, he wanted to avoid all of the questions and the assumptions. So that was evident by him going by Ken. That was evident by, uh, you know, we can sit in a church and do our prayers. Uh, that's right. So I, I, I see him as very much impacted by all of the pressures of American life and really trying to figure out uh, how to raise his kids and how to be himself in this country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, I want to just make a quick, uh, I guess, housekeeping note to our listeners. Uh, you know, um, Dr. Elswazani joins us from uh, her home in Southern California, uh, and we are here, of course, in the Bay at the studio. So this is a little bit of a new new thing for us of uh, being able to record remotely here in the studio. But anyway, um, I guess, you know, uh, so, you know, I'd love for, for you to then kind of get into your academic career and, and you know, and, 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 and your studies and, and then kind of bring into that, bring that into the conversation that we really want to have about, you know, representation in the media and so on. So when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in Manhattan and near Lincoln Center. And my brother and I, we were obsessed with popular culture, music, movies, and the big events when we were growing up was when Tower Records and Tower Video opened in our neighborhood. Uh, I remember when MTV started, we were, these were huge, you know, events in our childhood or Live Aid was also a big uh, childhood event. And uh, I was a first-generation college student, and it was very, very important to my father that I be educated, that I get an elite education. He um, really wanted me to be either a business person or a lawyer. Uh, he saw those as very prestigious careers. He wanted me to make a lot of money. He wanted me to be financially independent. Um, so he was he pressed education. And my brother's older, he went to college and he dropped out of college and it was the biggest disappointment in the family. Mm. And I remember when I went to college, I felt really alienated and confused. It seemed on the surface, later on I found little pockets, but on the surface it was very Eurocentric and alienating. And I just didn't have the academic preparation to really understand the options in front of me. And I remember thinking about dropping out. I wanted to follow my brother's footsteps. And I thought, but I can't do that. My parents are going to be so disappointed in me and I'll do anything to not have them be disappointed in me. And my turning point was taking a women's studies class at the University of Michigan. I was an undergraduate there. And uh, it was the first time that I understood my world, that I understood how the social and political world impacted me personally. And it changed everything. It was like I found something hmm. that was meaningful to me and helped me understand my life and my world. So that was a big turning point. Uh, and the, when I think about liberal arts education, and I'm, I'm a real proponent and advocate of liberal arts education, uh, what was important to me was that process of learning about my identity. 
Mm. And at the time, and it's still very much like this today, if you want to learn about Arabs, you go to Middle East studies. If you want to learn about Islam, you go to Islamic studies. You can learn a little bit about Latinos. You know, there's Latino studies and ethnic studies. And I was taking ethnic studies courses. I was taking women's studies courses. And I didn't find anything about Arabs or Muslims in the U.S. context. And it felt like a gap to me. It was something I really wanted and I couldn't find. And that very much shaped what would happen later, uh, which is that I was, first I did a master's degree uh, at the new school in the 1990s. This was before 9-11. And my thesis was about um, how Iraqi Americans conceptualize their racial identity. Mm -hmm. I was very curious about how do Arabs interface with the concept of race because I felt that I grew up and I was not white. But the census category said that I was white. The courses in ethnic studies weren't, didn't include Arabs. I felt that Islam was being racialized also, that it was marking us as other. Sure. Uh, so uh, when I was in, later on, I was at Stanford for my PhD. And whenever someone would say to me, oh, what are you studying? And I would say racialization of Islam, Muslims. They would say, oh, do you know Nadine Naber? You, you have to meet her. She's a grad student at UC Davis. So as... Fate would have it, the two of us were hired at the University of Michigan with very similar um, visions for wanting to see Arab Americans and Muslim Americans discussed within a, a U.S. ethnic studies context. And so at Michigan, the two of us worked together to create a program that's in American culture, and it's alongside the other ethnic studies units, so alongside Native American studies, Latino studies, Asian Pacific Islander studies in that department. And it's one of three that I'm aware of uh, in the world that looks at either Arabs or Muslims in the U.S. context. Mm. And so I'm very passionate about that program. I just left it. Swad Abdul-Kabir is the new director of the program, so I'm very happy about that. <laughs> uh, but oh, so I Dr. Swad is the, direct is the new director now. There is. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. I knew the connection that you've had, and you've certainly worked with Dr. Suad, who, of course, past guest of the show. Um, and you've worked with Dr. Zarina Graywall, who uh, I was, she and I were together, obviously, in different programs, but at the University of Michigan back in the day. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, that, so that's fascinating. So, Dr. Suad is the new director now that she's at Michigan. Correct. And you are now at University of Southern California. I am. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm curious, uh, just uh, anecdotally, because I mean, I, I, you know, as you know, I, I spent some time in Michigan and for me, you know, um, I, I lived closer to, An you know, Ann Arbor, but, um, you know, Dearborn wasn't that far and, um, Zucky got his taste of Dearborn just, this, uh, just a few, a few what last month, but, uh, good times. <laughs> um, it, had you been to Dearborn prior to your experiences in Michigan, like as a child or anything like that? Because I mean, I think that kind of represents a real fascinating intersection of all of the kind of things you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So as a child, no. Okay. As an undergrad, I went there once. Really? Okay. Yeah. Just only so once. A friend, yeah, a friend who lived in Michigan, born and raised in Michigan, uh, was like, hey, I'm gonna let me take you to Dearborn. And we went and we ate. And so I saw it once. And then when I moved to Michigan 14 years ago, my first job was at the University of Michigan Dearborn. Oh, perfect. So I lived there for a year in Dearborn. And when I got there, a lot of people said to me, oh, this is going to be so amazing for you to live among the Arab and Muslim community. And I was like, this is weird. I've never done this before. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a very multicultural environment. Um, my husband is of African descent. 
And in Dearborn, it felt weird walking in the street together. It's very segregated. You're white, mm. Arab, or you're black. That's true. Very strange experience. I love Dearborn. I've come really come to love it over the years. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a it was a weird experience when I when I first moved there and everyone's assumptions about what an what an amazing experience it would be for me. But it was it was quite foreign for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean Detroit or the greater Detroit area in general. Um, it's just a fascinating sort of. I mean, ethnic study, I mean, whatever you want to call it, because I mean, just the, how segregated it is and, 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 um, you know, ghettoized, you know, among racial and, and, uh, uh, um, economic, uh, lines. Um, and, and certainly Dearborn isn't, isn't, uh, you know, immune from that. Yes. But that then context. I moved to Ann Arbor and in my 13 years in Ann Arbor, I noticed an increase in Arab students from Dearborn coming to study at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So my first year, uh, there's a class that we can maybe talk about later uh, that I've taught for many years called the Middle East and Hollywood. Hmm. And the first time I taught it, there were 50 students in the class and four were of either Arab or Muslim background. And by the time I left 13 years later, when I would teach that class or any class related to Arabs or Muslims, if there were a class of 50, I'd have at least 30 students who were either Arab or Muslim in the classroom. So I think it was both that the numbers increased on campus, but also word got around uh, that these classes were available. Yeah, yeah. No, I was... Students sorry? That were meeting, meaningful to those students. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about some of the classes you teach. I mean, I, I was just, you know, perusing online. I mean, you know, from harems to terrorist representation or representing the Middle East and Hollywood cinema. I think we definitely want to get into that. And, and maybe this is probably as good as time as uh, any to do so. Um, but I guess if you could kind of give us the kind of, con- you know, to to contextualize the conversation, um, I think a good place to start would be um, – you know, Dr. Edward Said's sort of seminal work, uh, Orientalism. Um, and then, you know, probably also um, um, uh, uh, Dr. Sheehan's uh, Real Bad Arabs, right? Um, uh, and, and so how did that sort of inform, um, you know, your analysis, I guess, of Hollywood? And, and, and like you said, I mean, sort of a self-proclaimed uh, pop culture ju- junkie, uh, which I would say is like Zucky is not only a pop culture junkie, but he's like also a curator and a... He's like the Fred Stanford of uh, pop culture junk junk as well. You big dummy. Talk about uh, Zaki's uh, Aladdin article too. Oh, 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 I'm honored. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I haven't read the review because I wanted to spare myself from. But I I know you don't get into spoilers. But I mean, and I know the story. There there aren't any spoilers. That's true. Sorry, I should have. I should have done that. Uh, My bad. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah. If you so maybe in the context of Orientalism, and and for our listeners, you know, maybe talk a little bit about what a seminal work that was. And let me let me just say that that. my perspective as a film critic was such that I really I felt like I can touch on certain aspects of Orientalism, but I don't want to dive down that rabbit hole because that's beyond my remit as a critic, which is why I was so appreciative of your article because you were really able to dive deep into a lot of uh, stuff that that it needs to be part of this conversation and uh, for whatever reason isn't uh, to the degree that it should be. So... In regarding Edward Said, I feel like both Edward Said and Jack Shaheen's work um, is so foundational mm-hmm. if you're going to study representations of the Middle East, Arabs, and Muslims in U.S. media, which is my area of research. Mm-hmm. And 
every class I teach starts with Orientalism. And students find it, especially the, those of Arab and Muslim background, find the concept so useful because we haven't really had a term that's, that's the term that we have to describe our experience as being an other. Hmm. So Edward Lee describes it as akin to putting on a pair of glasses that distorts your vision when you're talking about the quote unquote East. So it looks exotic, <laughs> it looks dangerous, and it looks barbaric, and we're unable to see the complexity and the dynamic peoples and cultures and differences that exist there. Uh, so that concept is extremely helpful in understanding the particular kind of othering that takes place. Mm -hmm. And then Jack Shaheen, he wrote this book, Real Bad Arabs, How Hollywood Vilifies a People. It is an encyclopedia that includes almost a thousand movies uh, that were made by Hollywood from 1897 until 2000. He has another book called Guilty that picks up on after 9-11. And he takes notes on each, each of these movies and how they represent, uh, particularly Arabs in the Middle East. But when we're talking about Arabs in the Middle East, Muslims are conflated. So you can't, it's really hard to pick apart one identity from the other. Huh. And he says that out of the over 900 movies he looked at, that he would characterize 12 of them as positive and approximately 50 as neutral. And I think that that um, fact is so important in understanding why a movie like Aladdin matters. Huh. Uh, that it's not about criticizing one movie. It's about how does this movie make meaning in relation to this history of meaning making mm. about Arabs and Muslims and the Middle East. Uh, I got um, a bunch of uh, comments and I know when you publish an article, you're not supposed to read the comments. <laughs> <laughs> But on the conversation website. Not going down the rabbit hole of the comments section of any internet <laughs> article, right? <laughs> exactly. But on the conversation website, whenever there's a comment posted, I get an email about it. Oh my gosh. And so I've been reading these comments and many people have said that I'm overly sensitive mm. and that it's just a movie. And a lot of people feel that way. It's just a movie. Why so much criticism and so much weight on this one movie? And I think that what's missed with these, with that point of view is that it's not about one movie, but about how one movie is in conversation and perpetuating a particular perspective and narrative in relation to a history of, uh, in this case, Orientalism, or the same kind of Orientalist message repeated over and over again. So it's not that Aladdin is good or bad, or they're horrible people. It's about how is Aladdin perpetuating the same perspective about the Middle East as exotic, and what is that impact on people's point of view? Mm. Well, one commenter actually said, um, you know, I'm going to watch the movie, and I'm not going to think that Arabs are like that. It's fantasy. <laughs> and I get that too, but it's, we're, we're all going gonna, gonna, to gonna influence all of us because it's confirming something again. It's fantasy until you, you read like a statistic where like 40% of Republicans wanted to bomb Agrabah or something, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> so They're like, we can't let the cave of wonders fall into the wrong hands. Yeah. Um, the, the whole notion of you're being sensitive, I always find that fascinating because I've, you know, I've gotten my share of that. And w almost without exception, it's people from outside the culture that is being critiqued. Uh, who are deigning to say, well, this is how this culture that is not mine should be thought of. Like, you who are part of this culture, you need to get over yourself. And and that 
to me is what is so like the the mindset that leads to someone saying that oh uh, that's not racist oh that's not sexist like well you don't know you're not part of the group like why are you unwilling to even have the conversation or entertain the possibility that this might potentially be problematic it, I mean, that comment is not only minimizing and dismissive, yeah. but it shows that people are unaware of the history that we're dealing with. Hmm. So it's, it's akin to sometimes in class, I have a class called race and mixed race. We talk about affirmative action and a lot of students say, why would we do, why would we do affirmative action? It's, un, it's uh, unfair. And then once they learn about the history, they're like, oh, I get it now. But without understanding the larger historical context, some things don't really make sense. Why, why would you be upset about that? And then we get this minimizing impulse. But if Jack Shaheen did this research and showed us that 900 movies, which came out of Hollywood, are stereotyping Arabs and Muslims and the Middle East, then Aladdin matters. And if only 12 says <laughs> are positive, we have a huge problem. And it's coming out in our um, public opinion polls. It's coming out with the poll that you cited. It was both Republicans and Democrats saying that to varying degrees that Agrabah should be bombed. And uh, it reminds me actually of uh, the work of one of my colleagues at the University of Michigan, Maniba Salim. She's a social psychologist and she did a study to find out uh, the extent to which media influences our perceptions, particularly around Muslims. Mm -hmm. And she found that when viewers watch stories about Muslims as terrorists repeatedly, they are more likely to support policies that are repressive against Muslims that include invading Muslim countries and also restricting civil liberties on Muslim rights in the United States. <laughs> and she found that with neutral images and positive images, that that trend was diminished. It, so there's a huge relationship uh, that many people like to deny. It, it, what you just said reminds me of uh, my thesis, my master's thesis. I, I wrote a thesis. Uh, uh, the title is From the Delta Force to Lost, uh, uh, looking at uh, the portrayal of uh, Middle Eastern characters post 9-11 specifically. And uh, my, my contention in the piece was that the character of, what was his name? Said Said on Lost uh, was a was like one of the best, uh, the most positive uh, Muslim character that had ever been seen on American uh, television up to that point. Uh, which is sad, obviously, because he is a torturer yeah. and he's this and that. But he was also multi layered and he was human and 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 that played out in the sense of you know both my brother and my dad told the same story to me of being on a trip and both of their names is Syed so people would see their name and say oh Syed like like Syed on lost oh he's so great i love Syed and what a concept you know yeah, yeah so I, they got positive feedback because of that character yeah. that's right that's right um you know, I, I think, and I certainly want to talk more about um, Aladdin, but, you know, maybe, um, and I know this is a really difficult task. I mean, you know, like you said, it's, you know, like, you know, uh, Ed Sheehan talked about, or I'm sorry, Jack, Dr. Jack Sheehan's book analyzes over 900 films. I mean, but if you could kind of maybe give us, you know, in your in, in your perspective, like, or, uh, you know, how Hollywood has historically um, you know, seen or, or depicted, excuse me, um, you know, uh, the Middle East uh, and Muslims uh, and Arabs 
um, in that context, um, you know, because it begins with sort of the exotic or the unknown or the barbaric, but then it, and and certainly barbaric isn't by any means positive, but I would, you know, you could, one at least could argue that when the exotic or if it's seen as being mysterious, uh, you know, that can go either way. Um, but, but, but I mean, certainly it's reductionist, but it's nonetheless, you know, it's not as blatantly obviously negative as being depicted as a, you know, a mass murderer or terrorist or madman. So, so, you know, where has, like, what are the contours of that representation that, 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 you know, um, Jack Sheehan talks about in, you know, through in, in Hollywood. So from the, from early cinema, the late 1800s until roughly the 1940s and 1950s uh-huh. with the foundation of the state of Israel and later with the Arab-Israeli war in 1967, the early movies uh, portray the Middle East as this exotic locale. It's romantic, it's exciting, it's dangerous, but in a romantic way. And uh, Jack Shaheen's work shows this. He refers to uh, belly dancers, bombers, and billionaires. Mm. That's what he would say to describe basically the history of stereotypes. But a lot of belly dancers and harem girls and storylines where um, the Arabs or Muslims in the harem need to be saved by a white man. And the other uh, piece of scholarship that I teach on this topic uh, that's been very influential for my own work is Ella Shohat and Robert Stam book, Unthinking Eurocentrism, Multiculturalism and the Media. And they have a chapter where they talk about different tropes or storylines that are common in films about the Middle East. So we get stories about mummies. We get stories about the rape and rescue fantasy. We get stories about the desert. The desert odyssey is what they refer to it as. And so we have these packages of how we get stories about the Middle East. And they argue that these early movies, as fun and romantic and silly as they may seem, Mm -hmm. are actually uh, legitimizing the logic that justifies colonialism. So by projecting the Middle East as backwards, it is justifying the idea that the West needs to go in there and help to civilize or help to save and so even the most mundane-seeming movies contribute to that particular kind of logic. And when those movies were being produced um, in the earlier period, parts of the Middle East were, in fact, colonized by Europe. So the next uh, time period, and this I usually refer to Melanie McAllister's book called Epic Encounters. And she writes about how the Middle East became meaningful to Americans from 1945 to the present. And she takes us in her book through various political turning points. So we have the Arab-Israeli war in 1967 as introducing the terrorist stereotype that we're all very familiar with. So in seeing Palestinians, we don't get the Palestinian point of view. They're terrorists. And uh, at first, they're out to get uh, Israelis and Jews. And later on, it's uh, a threat also to the United States. So, I mean, as a child, and, and Zucky mentioned this movie in particular, but like Delta Force is probably like one of the most blatant examples of that. But um, is there a movie that you can think of that, that, that predates even Delta Force? I mean, both you guys, it's probably a question for you as well, there's Zucky. A, yeah, there's a movie I teach called Black Sunday, and um, it's from the 1970s, and it has a Palestinian woman terrorist, and she's coming to the United States to blow up the Super Bowl. Wow. And so that's one of the earlier ones. Jackson obviously writes about that since he writes about everything. 
uh, and the actress is a German Swiss actress, so she has this weird accent that's not Arab, that's just foreign. <laughs> just foreign, right? Yeah. Zachy, did any come to your mind? I'm I'm thinking. I mean, to me, certainly, I, I really point to the Delta Force as a as a demarcation point because of how egregious and excessive it was. Uh, and when was that? That was 80. like eighty five. I want to say okay. eighty five, eighty six. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's that's Golan Globus. Uh, you know, Menachem uh, Golan, Yoram Globus. There were these two producers out of Israel. So uh, there was a, a clear intent in that film depicting Muslim terrorists a specific way. Isn't there like a documentary about those guys? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's uh, um, uh, Electric Boogaloo. That's right. It's about I Golan it. Globus. Yeah, those guys. I mean, they were all around in the eighties. They made all the crap in the eighties, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but but the Delta Force. There was something insidious about it because i remember being six or seven which is by the way too young to watch a movie like that but i remember watching it be like oh it's awesome chuck norris is great lee marvin's awesome you know and here you've got you know by the beard of the prophet or whatever you know all the cliches and man i mean that did a number you know i mean i i look at the delta force as like an impact crater mm-hmm. for the next you know decade and change that really shaped how muslim characters are portrayed yes Agree. Yeah, how Muslim characters are portrayed, and then also like I mean the the, the sort of helpless you know Jewish victims right on the plane, right? Because I remember I mean I think images come to mind of like the woman who had to hide her Star of David uh, necklace or something. I mean, it's you know what's funny is is even more than that because yes that that uh, it's playing on. Obviously, the the you know he even said, oh, they're gonna do another Holocaust. I mean, it's it's insidious when you use that type of language, right? Uh, but beyond that, it's this notion of of you equip your lead characters with righteous vengeance, because no matter no matter what they do, we as the audience are okay with because of what the bad guys have done, right? And that's mm-hmm. and you know you see Chuck Norris, he's got this stupid like rocket powering motorcycle or whatever and and my point is i draw a straight line between that movie to like two three years ago uh london has fallen mm-hmm. which is uh um what's his name gerard butler is mike banning secret service agent mike banning and and the movie constructs this ridiculous scenario where you have uh, uh muslim terrorists manage to uh, they assassinate like every world leader that, you know, and, and you say, well, that just could not happen. There's just no scenario where the, that, that matches what the movie constructs, but you have to do this really fantastical, ridiculous thing in order to stack the deck so that, you know what I mean? So that, so that Gerard Butler can go after these people. And I'll never, he has a line where he's, he's beaten up on these bad guys and he says, go back to F Hedistan. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> And mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there in the theater watching this, and I'm looking around at the people around me, like, are you are you, are you serious with this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and we haven't come that far at all. That's my point, because uh, there is a there is a ready and waiting audience for that type of of uh, quote unquote entertainment. Now, isn't that movie filled? Is, isn't that the one with the diabetes line that you just cracked up on? No, no, that's oh, that's White House Down. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I always get those two Which confused. is the better <laughs> movie about terrorists taking over But aren't the White those House. two movies kind of like Armageddon and, and Deep Impact? That's, yeah, oh, okay. very apt. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Oh. Anyway, we're, we're going on a tangent here. Yes. Um, so you said that like, so the 1970s movie Black Sunday came to mind. Um, and so um, we, we were talking about, and then, does there is there a turning point? I mean, I would imagine yes, probably nine eleven. 
So the other moments that uh, Melanie McAllister sure. mentioned is the 1973 Arab oil embargo, where we get mm. the rich Arab oil sheik stereotype, the 1979 Iran hostage crisis, where we get this conflation of Arab Muslim Iran and threatening, but also a threat to the United States. And then uh, Gulf War, we actually get a multicultural moment. And this is when we have the siege with Tony Shalhoub as the yeah. quote-unquote good Muslim, good Arab American. and. Uh, Three Kings is the other film uh, where you have yeah, a multicultural yeah. military and yeah. also a quote-unquote good Iraqi who helps them escape Iraq. So that's a turning point. And then the book that I wrote, Arabs and Muslims in the Media, looks at what happens after 9-11. And what I argue in the book is that the quote-unquote positive becomes standardized. And I think that that's changing now with films like London is Falling, with movies like, or TV shows like Bodyguard and Jack Ryan, hmm. uh, that there's a, a bit of a shift happening now in the Trump era. But after 9-11 and leading up to the Obama era, people were saying post-race, we're in this post-race era. And what we would have is a story about terrorism. And then the writers and producers would include usually a patriotic Arab or Muslim American who's willing to fight and die for the United States. And it seemed like this character was there so that they can say, we're not perpetuating the stereotype. Right. Mm. You're diffusing it. Look, there was a good one in there. They're not all bad. We're making this distinction. <laughs> and in the book, I'm arguing that it's really an illusion and it's really not doing anything for us because A, how can it do anything for us if the context is still terrorism? And B, the idea of who's patriotic is very narrow. That's right. And, and how we define patriotism. I mean, this was, this was my problem with the siege uh, with Tony Shalhoub. Well, uh, sorry, uh, I, I, don't mean to, I don't want to cut you off, but I mean, I, th I, cause I, I definitely want to draw, because I, I think, uh, and, and your book gets into this, and I think um, the siege and, and Tony Shalhoub's character would be a great starting point, because you talk about how, you know, you know, post 9-11, what you imagined would be the scenario is that, you know, representation would be the sort of continuing of this, of the Arab as or Muslim as terrorist trope. And yet, you know, what you saw was representation being uh, sympathetic. However, within the sort of context of the two, um, I guess, of these two new tropes, which is the patriotic Arab or the patriotic American Muslim, and then the victimized Muslim. Right. right. And both, of course, being reductionist uh, in their own ways. Um, and I think and I, so I just wanted to kind of interject that because I think Tony Shalhoub is, is, is a great or sorry, Tony Shalhoub's character. Nothing I'm sure Monk. Tony Shalhoub That's is a lovely person, too. That's right. I love Monk. Uh, I'm actually I love Monk, too. Thank you. And, and I loved him on Wings. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so. Uh, <laughs> well, his character is Farouk Haddad. OK, I haven't seen. But he's scene. Frank. OK. And we know he's a good guy because he drinks and he kind of cheats on his wife and you know and this was my beef now i saw i went and saw the press screening of the siege uh fall of 98 i was in college i was a, 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 a in community college i was doing newspaper uh, movie reviews for my uh, uh, school newspaper and meanwhile i was outside handing out pamphlets you know asking people to boycott the film well that, uh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I, I was one of those guys so i was that for that and also executive decision well, and and that's well an executive decision How about true lies and tr True Lies well, was 94, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah, the, the thing is that what we just said about, about Tony Shalhoub's character and what you said, it, it's echoed in 
in Roger Ebert's review of executive decisions. So you're not the only one, you know, you're not off on an island making these observations. Here's Ebert talking about executive decision, where he says the terrorist, whose name is Hassan, reveals that his original demands were only a cover for his real plans. A moderate among his followers steps forwards and shouts, this has nothing to do with Islam, and is shot. His function is to get the filmmakers off the hook. Hassan is a fanatic, see, and not to be taken as typical of his co-religionists. Roger Ebert made that observation in, in 1996. Amazing. <laughs> you know? So in my book, I yeah. say that this became standard after 9-11, but that there are precedents. So that's a great example. That's 1996. I didn't know about that one. But The Siege, 1998. Three Kings, 1991. Even not without my daughter. Oh, sure. uh, 1991 is not without my daughter. 1999 is Three Kings. Three Kings, yeah. But they all have that character he's in there to diffuse a stereotype and then after 9-11 it was like 95 percent of the media that came out about terrorism with an arab or muslim terrorist had that character so it became expected and standard and from the point of view probably of the movie executive they're trying to be sensitive or they're trying to be more complex a lot of the terrorists had a backstory they weren't two-dimensional anymore <laughs> uh, but ultimately I didn't see these efforts as making much of a difference. And I was often confused about whether or not the motive was to avoid the Council on American Islamic Relations or the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee being on their case or whether they were gen genuinely trying to do something different. Mm. That's fascinating because, you know, and then even I, a movie like Zero Dark Thirty comes to mind, right? Where And, and Zeki and I have talked about this as, you know, a positive portrayal because you, you obviously you've got the, what the whole theme of the, or the, the plot of the movie is, but then you've got the CIA, someone where kind of a, he's kind of high in the CIA yeah, he's like, and he's they walk into his office and, and they see him like finishing or concluding his prayer. Um, and there's no mention of him being Muslim or anything and, like that. I mean, he's like a generic looking white guy for lack of a, Oh yeah, that's right. Right. That he's not, uh, you know, visibly Muslim quote unquote. So now, how would you characterize that kind of a character? I mean, he's no Tony Shalhoub because, I mean, he's just sort of a minor character in the film. Uh, and then they're also not sort of, to borrow an expression, Zucky, like they're not lampshading the fact that, you know, he's Muslim, uh, yet it's shown. But is, is that kind of another example of that sort of the patriotic American Muslim that you, you know, speak of? So I don't, I did watch Zero Dark Thirty, but it's been a long time. But mm -hmm. if he, is he a good character? He he's a neutral character, I would say. I mean, he's in it for like a minute and a half. Essentially, the 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 CIA torturer who's played by Jason Clark at at one point he goes and has a meeting with this guy, and he the guy is like doing sujood, and then he you know he folds up his prayer rug and he's like, oh, sit down, you know. But but the guy is by all appearances, uh, you know, a, a typical white guy. Yep. So to me, that is part of the trend, mm -hmm. which is trying to do something interesting and complex. So look, we have a white guy who's Muslim mm -hmm. and he's in the background and he's supposed to diffuse the, it's like, it's proving that they're not stereotyping, hmm. but it's such a small gesture. It's yeah. proving that they're aware that not all Arabs are Muslims and Muslims are Arabs. And uh, so a lot of that has taken place since 9-11 and mm -hmm. it's usually a pretty minor character or if it's a supporting character, they're going to be killed to prove that they support the United States, like in Homeland uh, with the Farah Chirazi character. I don't know if you've seen Homeland. She's Iranian. She's Muslim. She's working for the CIA. And her sole purpose is to be killed <laughs> to, by a terrorist, of course, 
to prove that she is a patriotic American. I haven't That's- seen Homeland. Um, uh, we've had uh, Kamran Pasha on. What was the show he was involved with? I mean, is that oh, like- Splinter, uh, Splinter Cell. Splinter Cell. Okay, I wonder if Sleeper Cell. Sleeper Cell. Cell. Sleeper Cell. Sorry. Are you, are, I don't know if you're familiar with that show. I am familiar with Sleeper Cell. And, and any thoughts there? I mean, I, yeah, I haven't and, seen and, it. And I don't. Kamran has plenty of critiques, but by the way, I mean he. Oh, you know, right. Yeah, we we need to have him back. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, before before uh, you comment, professor. I mean, uh, the the reality that I get from talking to uh, Muslim uh, friends and, and colleagues who work in the industry is this: it's like we're there. And they don't come to us. They don't ask us. You know, they, there's no desire to actually make us part of the process, and that's an ongoing concern even now. I believe it. Sleeper Cell had a diverse cast of Muslims. It wasn't about Arab Muslim, Muslim Arab. It was, you know, it did that, but you know, it was about terrorism. And uh, the lead uh, terrorist was played by Oded Fair, Oded who's Fair. Israeli. Yeah. And then uh, Darwin Al Said was the name of the FBI agent who goes undercover, and he's Muslim African American, and he's in that same uh, character of the patriotic Muslim who's going to infiltrate and stop terrorism. And, and I think one other movie to mention, uh, and we, we, because we talk about African American Muslim representation, uh, which is, I guess, it, I think it's called The Patriot. It's been a while since I saw it. Is that no, Don, Don Cheadle? What's that? What's that movie? Uh, oh uh, no, it's. Uh... Not the Patriot. Traitor? Traitor. Traitor. Sorry. Traitor. The, the exact opposite of Patriot. <laughs> the the ex- <laughs> literal <Similar>. opposite. <laughs> I haven't seen that one in a long time, too. I barely I don't remember it. Really. I don't remember it, but I mean, it's. Well, you know, there's also there's this Dick Wolf show right now, FBI, where one of the lead characters is a, is a Muslim FBI agent. Hmm. And that, I, I haven't watched the show, but that would seem to fall right Monaco into. Monaco had a Muslim agent. Yes. Yeah. He's a hijabi, right. too, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Right. Like a Muslim, it was a, and I don't mean hijabi. I did, like Muslim woman, uh, you know, more than just yeah. Um, so there's one wore the hijab, the other did not. Oh, right, right, yes, right. Was right. that on Quantica? Oh, on Quantica. Was that what's her name? The Bollywood actress? Was it? No, oh, no, 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 no. She's different. Different. Okay, okay. Yeah, Priyanka Chopra. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. So, so the um, you've got these two sort of tropes, right, of the patriotic American Muslim and the victimized Muslim, and you argue that, I mean, while we can certainly you know glean certain maybe positive or sympathetic uh, you know images from you know these two tropes or, or or feelings that we get when we see characters like that, however, the problem being again, it's still within the sort of guy or within the context or. I think what you describe as sort of the logics of of uh, the um, of terrorism or the national security apparatus. So basically, how much progress is it if mm. we're understanding Arab and Muslim identities as good or bad in relation to terrorism? Mm. So, and I apply the same kind of argument to Aladdin, which I do think there are a lot of improvements, but ultimately the question is. How much progress is it when the Orientalist framework remains? And so my main argument about Aladdin is that uh, it seems to me that movie executives today believe that a good portrayal is going back to the Orientalism of the 1920s. That seems harmless. It's exotic. It's fun. It's romantic. And so if we do 1920s Orientalism, that must be progress because we're not portraying them as terrorists. So moving away from terrorism to this new improved thing, but it's not really new and improved. It's the same old thing. 
And it's not just Aladdin. So the other movies that come to mind include Hidalgo in from 2004. Yeah. Which, which is, is like a, you interviewed both the director and Vigo Mortensen. And Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, yeah. Just, wow. I don't know if you know that. Uh, yeah. I don't. I'd love to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, it was like 15 years ago. You should talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Because I don't know if you've, you, I don't think you actually talked about it on this podcast. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Anyways, please. Go, go. Uh, so, Hidalgo is one in this category uh, about a cowboy who's part Native American who goes to the Middle East for a race in the desert with his horse. And it includes him saving the uh, sheikh's daughter the from sheikh the played East. by Omar Sharif. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I think one, one of his, his last, last roles. Yep. Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, 2011. I don't know if you've seen that yeah. one. Yeah. I haven't. Another one. It's, you know, a sweet movie. <laughs> and uh, also it, uh, it's about bringing salmon fishing to Yemen, hiring this British company to do it. And while in Yemen, there's a lot of, you know, bandits and terrorists uh, threatening the main sheik character. And then Victoria and Abdul from 2017. Oh, yeah. Uh, which has a criticism of racism and Islamophobia embedded in the movie. And at the same time, Abdul is infantilized, otherized, and uh, he's not a fully developed person. Yeah. So, uh, so, so- I, I mentioned in my op-ed that Aladdin is different from these in the sense that it doesn't revolve around a white protagonist where these others are revolving around a white protagonist but that who kind of comes to save the day like and again I'm, I, of those movies that you mentioned I don't, I've only seen Hidalgo so but I, I imagine that being kind of representative of what you're talking about yes yes uh, so the idea being the white that savior orientalism is supposedly good now hmm. better and I'm questioning that framework I mean, yeah. how much progress can you really make in an orientalist framework you know, what I find fascinating, one of the other things that you mentioned uh, and was one of your talks where you draw kind of a parallel between this representation of the good Muslim, you know, patriotic Muslim and the, I guess, maybe, you know, uh, um, 1940s, 50s, or maybe even earlier uh, portrayal of the black mammy female character, the, the like the black female character as being good, a good representation, but nonetheless, it sort of furthered this idea that black women were comfortable and okay with being servants. Right. That I, so the, the ultimate question is what kinds of logics are being perpetuated through these images? So in the case of the Mammy, it might seem to some people as harmless, but it's perpetuating the idea of black women as servants and not as equal. And with the Patriot, it's perpetuating the idea that the only good Arab or Muslim is the one that's willing to fight and die for the United States. And, and so the rest are bad unless they prove themselves otherwise. And there's a really high bar here for how to really prove that you are one of us. And, and you know, you can draw a corollary between that to, you know, any time there's any kind of a, a terrorist act or whatever uh, that happens overseas, you know, there's that, uh, we see it online, like, oh, why aren't Muslims condemning this? Why, why don't you say something about this? And, and again, it goes to that high bar that you've set where uh, every uh, person uh, who identifies with that culture is expected to uh, take ownership of all the pluses and all the minuses of that culture. Or, or all the minuses and maybe the pluses. We'll see. We'll, we'll decide right. that. <laughs> right. exactly. so, so the trend that you're identifying is, well, I don't know if it's a trend, but 
the, the with a movie like Aladdin or the live remake, I should say, uh, live action remake uh, of, of Aladdin, it's this kind of return to the Orientalism of the 1920s, you know, depicted in Hollywood. Um, but then you also mentioned something uh, earlier, which was this the the like with shows like Jack Ryan and uh, maybe, I don't know if Homeland was another example of that, where. Like, what is a direction or a trend that you see with shows like that? And I only mention Jack Ryan in particular because, you know, past guest of the show, Omar Muzaffar, um, in at least in some capacity, was involved as, as, an, an, advisor. as an advisor. And and by the way, Mina Masood was on Jack Ryan. Oh, so, yeah. okay, okay. So I'm not familiar. I haven't watched a single he's, episode. He's like one of the FBI people. I like Jack. Is it Jack? Or is it, what's his name? The lead character, the lead actor. John Krasinski. John Krasinski. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Gramps. <laughs> I know. I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm sorry. So are, are you, what do you see with that kind of, like, what, what do you see in that trend? So I feel like when I watched London is Falling, I thought, oh, this trend that I'm following doesn't hold across mm. the board anymore mm. because London is Falling is not making an effort to include this positive character. It was very explicit. They're all bad and terrorists. There was this one brown person who was part of the, I don't remember if it was FBI, CIA, government group, but he was sort of nameless and in the background. But I don't know if you remember the character, but there was this one brown person in the group. I barely remember the movie. (laughs) Nondescript, ethnically (laughs) ambiguous brown person. (laughs) And for Jack Ryan, Mina Masood plays that role. Yeah. He's a minor character. You know, you don't know much about him, but he's there. He's with Jack Ryan in the CIA. Oh, I see. And uh, the other... So when I look at these films that seem a little bit distinct from this real effort, look, there's a good one. Hmm. Uh, it makes me think that it's reflective of where we are today in terms of Muslim ban, Brexit, Trump era, yeah. which is a much more explicit moment than the Obama era where everyone was celebrating this post-race thing. Bodyguard is the other one. I don't know if you've seen Bodyguard. No, the but I, I know of what you speak, yeah. The television yeah. show, not the, the Kevin... Not, not the Kevin <laughs> Sorry, Costner movie again, from 1992. Yeah, yeah, yeah again, no, Grams. No. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the new one. <laughs> the new one, got it. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think... Uh, you, one of the other concepts that you talk about is this idea of a, of a simplified complex representation. Is that is that an example like this example of the good you know of of the good character there to offset the bad representation? Is that what? Or maybe you could maybe just talk about what 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 you mean and uh, or or define as the simplified complex representations that you hope uh, to see. Yeah, as you know, academics love to create terms. <laughs> Well, you're on, and, a, you're on a podcast called Diffused Congruence. Uh, which, that's true, I fit in. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, yeah, we, we, we are guilty of the same. I was trying to create a term to capture the phenomenon of if you're watching a movie and it's a terrorist theme, you can expect one of a number of things to happen. Okay. And that is a trend. And so it includes, including the patriotic uh, Arab or Muslim, it includes the victimized one, who is significant because, as you both were commenting with Delta Force, you celebrate when the evil Arab or evil Muslim are killed. So to have the opportunity to feel bad, oh, I feel so bad, this innocent Muslim is facing hate crimes, it's significant. Uh, It's limited, but it's significant. So that's another example of simplified complex representations. Other examples are giving the terrorist a backstory. So in Sleeper Cell, for example, we see the terrorist, he has a wife, he has a kid, uh, he has, we see a fuller picture of his life, uh, in 
Jack Ryan, actually, uh, there's a backstory with why the terrorists are became terrorists, and it's because the U.S. Right. Uh, dropped a drone and killed their family. It's easily forgettable, but it's mentioned. Uh, so the idea is that writers and producers are trying to make more complex storylines, but when you analyze them as much as I have, you can predict them. They are formulaic, and ultimately, they're very simple. Uh, so if you watch TV with me and we're on this theme, I, I can tell you what's going to happen, and it's not fun to watch TV with me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife says the same thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for other reasons, but yeah. Um, no, you know, and, and I want to, I want to shift. For, I, I definitely want to talk about because I think there's two other areas of your of your of your um, academic um, work that I do want to focus on. One being Islamophobia, the other being the um, the um, as guest curator of the online uh, exhibit. Um, but I guess before we shift from the conversation around Arab and Muslim representation um, uh, because I think one of the other things you do that I, I have also heard you talk about and perhaps we can now would be a good time to maybe delve you know the two of you sorry um, in, into a conversation around Aladdin in, in, in more detail which is where what is, what are examples of sort of good representation where it's not within the context of terrorism or um, uh, you know the the national security apparatus, and I know you, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Al Sultani, you've talked about a character on Community. Now, a show I'm not familiar with, but I know Zucky is a huge fan of. So, so I, I'm going to just leave it to you two. But, but I guess the character of Abid, played Abed. by Danny Pudi, Danny Pudi, who who is should, in we Lina, should mention Lina was on Khan's Lena Khan's uh, Tiger Hunter, who we've had Lena on the show, and I think. And I and I, you know, and I would love to actually your comment. Sorry, I'm kind of all over the place here, but. Because I think the, the Tiger Hunter juxtaposed with, say, a, a movie like The Big Sick, right, mm-hmm. where you've got this sort of immigrant story, and, and but yet they're very different. Because I think there's another trend that I saw, at least in, sh- in, 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 in that movie, like, a, like whether it's The Big Sick, but also in shows like Aziz Ansari, who, fine, doesn't profess to be a Muslim – but you know, in his in his show, I forget uh, Master of None. What is it called? Master of None. Yeah, Master of None. Where it's this again, this kind of trope of the Arab Muslim white girl girlfriend, you know, kind of <laughs> scenario. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. But I mean, I know I've thrown a lot at you, but um, I guess starting with Abed. There you go, uh, yes. Professor. Please. Yes. Okay, uh, and. Before we conclude the show, we should probably talk about a few things that are good about Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, no, I, like I said, I definitely want to focus on that. And then, you know, right. um, not wrapping it, because I do definitely want to talk about your work with Islamophobia, as well as the, like I said, the, uh, um, uh, you know, your work with as guest curator of the online exhibit. So I think there are many examples out there of um, representations that have potential. I think that And what they makes are them down. good, perhaps, you know, would be a good, so, yeah. Yeah, so let's say community. I like Abed. He, th- though there is, and Zaki, you might remember this, there is a very stereotypical episode with his family yep. in the stand. Okay, so yeah. they do uh, flop on that episode. But in general, Abed is this really weird guy. He's a nerd. He's into pop culture. And he's Palestinian. And he's not weird because he's Palestinian. He's just a weird guy. So I like Abed because of that. It's unusual to see that kind of character. Um, Isn't there a similar Indian character on uh, The Big Bang Theory? Who? Yeah, Another show I don't he's watch. He's extremely but... stereotypical. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, okay. I don't watch that show, but right. I can't imagine that 
the wider Indian audience would be happy with the character that Kunal Nair What plays. about that show, uh, Fresh Off the Boat, I think? Y- yes. Yes. Okay. Is it, but there's a Muslim character there as well, right? That I don't know. I, oh, okay. I don't, I don't okay. watch the show, sorry. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Anyway, please continue. Uh, after 9-11, Whoopi Goldberg had a sitcom called Whoopi, and she had a character on the scene, Candyman. Yeah, yeah. That was really cute. Little Mosque on the Prairie. You know, a lot, uh, right now there's a lot of discussion around Rami, and I do like Rami. Um, but, the, uh, that's the Hulu series. Right. I've, I've heard a lot about it, wanting to watch it. Um, we actually had Zarka. What's her name? Zarka. Zarka on the show. Who, who, who was, I saw that Little Mosque. Yeah, Zarka yeah, Noah. That's right. Zarka, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Rami, fascinating, um, because we've had Azhar Usman on the show, who's really close friends with Rami. Um, and then, of course, a lot of people didn't know anything about Rami Yusuf as a comedian un- until this Hulu show, show which everyone's mm-hmm. talking about. Have you watched it and any thoughts there? I have watched Rami. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we'll leave that for another conversation then. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, you know, I, the one thing I'll say is it's the and and the professor. This is something we talked about the other day. Yeah, uh, where it's it's this. It's not as easy as saying it's all bad or it's all good. It's there. There's aspects of all of these things where you can look at it and say, well, that's progress. And that's a good thing, and that's a step forward. And you know, I've told the story a gazillion times. I don't think I've ever told this on this show, but you know, I I'm watching um, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine with my kids. I just I started watching that a couple years ago, and uh, there was the character played by Siddiq Al Fadl, who goes, his screen name is Alexander Siddiq, and and his character is Doctor Bashir. And my my second son, who was eight at the time, I you know I, I said to my boys, I was like, oh, that's that's Doctor Bashir. And my 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 son says that's his name. That's his name on the show. And he, <laughs> he got excited. He got excited by that. Yeah. And and this is an eight year old kid who's never seen that. Just something as simple yeah. as that, you know. So so for me, even small steps forward, I don't undervalue those because I realize that for that eight year old, it's meaningful and it's mm-hmm. valuable. Well, and, I think of like Rogue One and my daughter's reaction yeah. seeing Riz Ahmed's name on the screen. Yeah. We know when the Star Wars credits start, and just her excitement of seeing Ahmed on yeah. the on the big screen. Yeah, you know her, her, her own last, last name, name, her yeah. own last name. Yeah, yeah. So, so when we look at something like Aladdin, that was you know when when the film when our press screening ended, you know, I uh, I turned to my colleague and I was like, well. It's amazing that you have a movie with entirely, almost entirely unknown brown people. Uh, Will Smith is known, I guess, but mm-hmm. few people know him. And 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 it and you know they there was no white star that they needed to like anchor the movie. Uh, that's a big deal. And and it wasn't that long ago, nine years ago, the Prince of Persia was Jake, not Persian Gyllenhaal. Correct. Right. And same studio. That was Disney. That was not not mm-hmm. that long ago. You know, and and what's funny is, uh, had that movie come out today, there's no way it would have been made that way. That's progress. Mm. That's I mean the 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 fact that they made an effort to cast in a very broad sense ethnically appropriate actors uh, for the roles. I mean that's look that's that's a good thing. I have my issues with the film. I'm not crazy about the movie, but that's a big deal. And the fact that it opened as well as it did, that's a big deal because it means there's there's more likelihood of being willing to take a chance on ensembles that are more reflective of the diversity of the world we live in. I mean, that's a big deal. I think that the biggest uh, improvements in Aladdin is the casting. Yes. And casting Mina Masood. And I think one of you said that uh, a 16-year-old went to see it 
Did my, you say that? My, my daughter, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she she so liked I think, it. Yeah, I think it's significant that, you know, young girls and boys are going to have a crush on Mina Masood. I think that's, uh, that's very meaningful because we don't have that. Hmm. So I think... Um, right. And, and we shouldn't... I, I, you know, like we should be cognizant of those sort of changes, even as subtle as they are. Um, you know, and I think a point that you make, which is, you know, you mentioned this about good and bad, like and, and, and by you, I'm sorry, I'm pointing to Zucky here, but <laughs> you know, because you talk about Stop this, pointing um, at me, you know, Professor El Sultani, which is this idea that you know that a good bad analysis isn't sufficient, but rather we need to be looking at the, sort of the logics, right, that are that are created with these representations. Thanks. I say that in my class all the time, that if we ask, is this movie good or bad? Is the representation good or bad? Then the conversation's over. It's good mm, or it's bad. Yeah. But if we ask, what are the logics? What are the logics that are being perpetuated? What are the meanings that are being produced about these identities? It offers a lot more information. So, I mean, we might look at Aladdin and say, it's, it's good. It's not about terrorism. And, um, okay, it's about the exotic East. It's not that bad. But if we think about the larger historical context and what it means to return to a very limited trope, then we can see the problems with it. But at the same time, you know, as we're trying to do here, acknowledge uh, the progress that has been made, especially around the casting. Uh, what I find interesting is that uh, the movie got a lot of negative reviews in Entertainment Weekly and the New York Times. They were giving grades of like a C minus. And then I was getting these uh, nasty comments about how I'm overly sensitive. And I thought, you know, my review is actually, <laughs> I think it's a really fun movie. I'm just criticizing it in the context of the history of representations. Mm. I'm not giving it a, a C minus based on acting and graphics as others That's are. my job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't been as, like, I haven't been as in tune to social media as I, as I normally am, but... You know, like we met, and I don't want to misquote her, so I'm just going to just say, like, I, I think, and I, I was going to ask you because, you know, you are, um, you've worked with Dr. Swad. She, she, she posted something or mentioned yeah. something about Aladdin. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, of Will Smith the playing Negro. the genie. He's the magical Negro. He's literally the magical Negro in the movie. That was her critique. Now, is that a sort of, I, I'm, that's a trope. Okay. Right. It's, okay. you know, Key and Peel did a very funny, uh, take off on that where they had two dueling magical negroes but the idea in a very broad sense and professor correct me if, if i'm misstating this but the idea it's the wise black person who doesn't have agency in the story except to give wisdom to the 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 white lead character so the best if we're talking well, about will, will smith, smith played is, him. is bagger van so that's, thank, that's, thank you that's yeah. that's like the oh, prototypical okay. example of that yeah I think Spike Lee uh, created the term in the 1990s to refer to a trend of, I guess, how Hollywood thought a positive representation, what that looked like. It's, for it's a Green Book or day, Driving Us Daisy, oh, same idea. Same Those are both idea. magical Negro stories. Or The Help. The Help, there's another one, yeah. yeah. Or that Mammy figure we were talking about a while ago. Right, because when you mentioned the Mammy figure, figure, figure I thought of... The Help, uh, in terms of modern examples, and then The Butler, both movies I haven't seen, but, I mean, they just came to mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, to uh, guess who's coming to dinner could be reflective of that to some extent, because okay. it's, it's, it's not Sidney Poitier's story, it's what's-his-name's story, mm-hmm. right, the dad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, so, so these, these are, again, and there's a great Key and Peele sketch, which, of mm-hmm. course, those guys, who better 
to to poke holes in yeah. these types of tropes right. than those guys. Uh, so uh, valid point that like 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 Doctor Swad is raising with, with I mean, the I, casting I, of I, uh, Will Smith. I'll be very honest mm-hmm. that that wasn't an in that. I would have thought of, but that's the benefit of being Dr. Suad and having her experience. She's going to look at things from a very very, uh, specific perspective. And I read her critique and I was like, wow, I hadn't thought of that. Her concern is that there's only one black character with a speaking role and that he plays the role of the magical Negro. And that in most films, he's there to serve the white person. In this case, it's to serve Aladdin, brown person. Mm. And For me, actually, when I was watching the film, I, I did feel a little bit, uncomfortable with uh, you know the genie is trapped he's a slave he's waiting to be free and it had a lot of resonance for me since Af- since uh, will smith is african-american resonance to slavery in the united states i couldn't help but go there hmm. and uh, so i did feel a little bit a little bit weird but no one else seems to well care. i think you know i oh. i think i think the reason that uh, as you say, maybe not, not as many people are reading into that is because because the the role as constructed is Will Smith as Will Smith. So in other words, he is bigger than the movie that he's in, at least insofar as the character. And the 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 distinction I would draw is, for example, The Legend of Bagger Vance, which is very much, you know, it's the uh, you know we feeling sick, boss, like that kind of mm. that you know he comes off as more. Uh, position under, you know. Uh, so I think I think for me personally, that's the reason it that reading it it didn't occur to me until I read Doctor Swad's. Yeah, uh, it's true. He's very Will Smith. He's very Will Smith. The, I, I think he does a great job as the genie. Yeah, he brings mm-hmm. a lot of fun to the movie. I de- I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, how do you fill Robin Williams, right? And just I mean, or and and yeah, you, you a cartoon get, character, you get, but you get somebody who's not yeah. even going to make you think of that necessarily. And it, you know, there, when when he does the song Prince Ali in the film, you know, he has a line where he's like, you know, say your Friday salam or something like that. And you know, I've seen people get real excited about My that. My daughter actually pointed that out. And <laughs> and again, this is this is what I'm saying. Yeah. On the one hand, I'm like, all right, guys, because she knows down. the Sunday Salam line. That's, That's the why. thing, right? Uh-huh. Is is I'm on one level, I'm like, all right, guys, let's settle down. It's just, it's one word. Let's get. But then again, I'm like, but you know what? I need to remember. I'm not the main audience. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people who don't know anything about this whose understanding will be expanded, and that's that's valid and important as well. Mm-hmm. The question is, in my opinion, is Aladdin the end of our journey, or is it? You know, d- does it signal well we got more places to go? And as, as you point out in your article that I wanted to hear you talk about, oh, thank you. <laughs> you asked why Aladdin, and you said it's about the money at the end of the day. Why would Disney want to do Aladdin? Yeah, it, I mean, this is this is I've I've had this conversation a few times where people are getting very upset with me. Why isn't it historically accurate? And I'm like, first of all, I didn't make the movie. I didn't greenlight it. I don't know if you read my review. I gave it a negative review, but but that was my point. And I think I said this at the at the top. Disney wanted to be accurate to 1992. That's <laughs> that's the history Good they boy. care about evoking. You yeah. know, it's and so uh, you're boxed in, and that, this is the same problem they have with Beauty and the Beast. This uh, with Dumbo, whatever. It's like if if there's a million versions of Beauty and the Beast, but when you say Disney's Beauty and the Beast, it's got to look a certain way. It's got to have cer- it's got to sound a certain way. Well, the same thing with Aladdin. You say Disney's Aladdin, that needs to be Disney's Aladdin. It's mm. got to have Abu the monkey. It's got to have the magic carpet. You know, the the stuff specifically in that film. So. That's again. That's a longer arc of conversation we need to have about. Well, uh, how is uh, Hollywood portraying 
uh, Middle Eastern cultures. But insofar as this specific film, well, you're, you, they are boxed in by uh, the precedent that was set, you know, 25 years ago, 27 years ago, whenever that movie came out. When did it come out? 92. But that's me, you know? <laughs> I agree. So, I mean, I, I, again, and we, we can keep talking about this, and this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, some of the other projects that you're also involved with, maybe we can just sort of like mention that briefly, and then uh, uh, we can probably wrap the, con- yeah, the, the, conclude the conversation. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, like as, like I, w- I, I didn't get to do a lot of reading on it, but I mean, your, your work as the uh, guest curator for this online exhibit, maybe you could talk a little bit about the uh, online exhibit and where people can check that out. Yeah. So it's uh, org, And I worked with the Arab American National Museum to create an online exhibit on uh, both the history of stereotyping. And then there's the section that the museum curated about who are Arab Americans. So the idea was to um, have something accessible to high school teachers and to the public to learn about what is Orientalism and what is this history of stereotyping? Why does it matter? And so we uh, put that together. We had a a moment where we were testing the ideas and a lot of the people who uh, gave us feedback said that they wanted to know who Arab Americans are. So the website developed into having two sections, one about who are Arab Americans and the other about uh, the history of stereotyping. And it has a section also about who else has been an other to really make the point that stereotyping is not unique mm-hmm. to the Arab American community. Right. And uh, to look at examples throughout history and particularly in the U.S. of uh, other groups that have been othered. Wonderful. Um and then I guess, you know, finally, I mean, and, and again, this is just uh, a way of teasing, um, you know, um, a conversation that uh, we hope to have you back on the show um, in the future to talk about. But, you know, um, I know one of the other um, projects that you are involved with uh, or another part of your study is Islamophobia. And, and I know that's where you've done a lot of work as well. And fr- fr- frankly, uh, you know, I, I read your article about, um, you know, within this context about uh, where sort of li- uh, multiculturalism or liberalism sort of fails, um, you know, um, you know, it, uh, with the uh, Ben Affleck, now famous Sam Harris, Ben Affleck uh, debate on Bill Maher's, I think, 2014 episode of Real Time, um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that was really fascinating. And, I, you know, I, and I couldn't help but think of that even in this context of what we were just talking about with Will Smith. You know, of you know, and his portrayal as arguably this, you know, the 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 uh, you know magic black Negro, but um, you know how I think liberalism, because oftentimes when people think of Islamophobia, they see it only within the context of right wing or conservative uh, policies around you know and, and being informed by Islamophobia and racializing Islam, but then on the on the flip side. There's, there's, uh, uh, you know, the the kind of the way that liberals or people on the left view Islam, and they and they view the conversations around Islamophobia um, being less about race, perhaps, but about these sort of values of freedom and freedom of expression and 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 so on, and 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 uh, you know, uh, the the uh, oppressed woman, you know, the oppressed veiled women, woman. 
kind of trope uh, gets kind of played. Um, and so I, I think that that's a real fascinating conversation. I mean, maybe, like, like I said, we could just sort of tease it for a future episode that I'd love to have you kind of back on to talk about. Thank you. So, yes, I have this uh, short Bill Maher piece, and I have a, a longer one that will be in my book, uh, in which I'm looking at... Oh, yeah, your forthcoming book. You, we definitely want to... Yeah, definitely talk about that, please. And uh, the larger point is many people say Islamophobia comes out of the right, but it's, Islamophobia is everywhere. Mm. So that article is looking at Bill Maher in particular, someone who really identifies as a liberal and seeing how within concepts of liberalism, which most people identify, particularly Bill Maher, as uh, advocating for free speech, LGBT rights, women's rights, these become litmus tests for Muslims to prove that they are for free speech, LGBT rights, and women's rights. So on the one hand, it becomes a litmus test. And then on the other hand, my, the point in that brief article is that it's actually not unusual for liberalism, which is supposed to be so inclusive, mm-hmm. to be exclusionary. Historically, it has always been exclusionary. If we started slavery, or even if we look at uh, excluding Catholics, uh, it's, it's been part of liberalism historically to purport that it is all-inclusive and that these other groups don't belong because they don't pass the litmus test when liberalism itself has never been all-inclusive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like I said, that's a broader conversation. And, and you know, um, you know, talking about uh, the Bill Maher and Ben Affleck, you know, appearance on that show, um, you know, one of the things we've talked about on the show, and, and this kind of lends into, a, you know, uh, something that we alluded to perhaps at the very, very beginning uh, around studies that show this, which is, you know, the the impact that having um, not only positive Muslim portrayal or Arab portrayal in the media and, and the way that impacts policies and attitudes, but also just people who know Muslims or know and uh, have Arab neighbors, know an Arab as a friend. Um, and I say that in the context of, of, of Ben Affleck because, you know, a past guest of the show, Rehan Jalali, another SoCal, nat- you know, SoCal resident like yourself, you know, was his personal trainer and nutritionist, kind of beefed him up for the role, um, you know, uh, of Batman. And, 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 and Ben Affleck's not guilty of, because we, we, we didn't talk about Argo, but there's, an, there's a whole conversation there as well. But I mean, like I think the the sort of vociferousness with which he defends Islam and Arabs and the and the kind of conversation that, or the uh, or the tenure of the conversation that Bill Maher and Sam Harris were having, um, you know, I think a lot. You know, one could argue that that's informed by Ben Affleck's own sort of personal relationships with actual Muslims and Arabs, and so uh, I, I don't think we can discount that. And, you know, and, and and the impact that that has. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I know the poll you're talking about. That says, I don't know the statistic, but Americans don't even know a Muslim. And then it correlates to a negative perception of who Muslims are. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but anyway, this has been just a fascinating, far reaching, uh, far ranging, I should say, sorry, conversation. And um, uh, maybe as we kind of wrap up, where can people find your work and more about you and uh, kind of read some of the things we've been talking about and, and, and check out your TED Talk and so on. I know you've curated a lot of that on your website. So where yes. can people... I, I just want to say, you know, on, on Twitter, anytime somebody says some vague witticism, they'll be like, that was my TED Talk. You get to actually say, here's my TED Talk. <laughs> TEDx, <laughs> which is different from TED, but still TEDx talk, yes. Yeah. I, don't even know the, I don't even know the distinction. Okay, so, we'll you know. pretend there is no distinction. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah. So I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on Twitter, but I have a website, and it is evelynalsultani.com. 
Great. Uh, and then I know, of course, they, you know, people can find out more about your background, your research uh, on the USC um, website. Correct. Uh, you are at the school of, sorry, I, I don't remember. I'm in the Department of American Studies That's and right. That's right. That's right. Is, is, is Dr. Jackson like an adjunct in that department? He is affiliated with the department and his main appointment is in religion. Of course. Uh, right, okay. right, right. Okay. So, um, certainly a past guest of the show, we, you know, we, we, we joked about diffuse congruence, but that's an academic term that I, 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 I borrowed from Dr. Jackson uh, back in my days really? at, at Michigan, sort of all sort of comes full circle. Yeah. Great, <laughs> but uh, anyway, thank you so much for taking the time and 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 you know ha- having you on the show. Um, and again, like I said, it was so easy. I, you know, I reached out to you after reading your wonderful article uh, in Newsweek about about the Aladdin movie, and you were so responsive. So, thank you for that. And um, uh, I guess Zucky, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Where can people find out more about us and our show? And uh, you can hit like on our Facebook page, which is facebook dot com slash diffuse congruence. If you want to send us a message, you can do that. You can also email us at movie uh, at diffuse congruence at gmail dot com. Sorry, I lapsed into my other thing. Uh, as for me, you can find me at my website zakiscorner dot com z a k i s corner. That's also my Twitter. That's also my Instagram. Uh, Pervez, I know that you have a Twitter. Well. I have a Twitter, and that's we'll just leave it at that. Okay. But, uh, yeah, you can hit me up on Facebook. I'm probably more active there, and uh, yeah, please do reach out on the show and. Uh, again, it's, it's, it was a real pleasure, and uh, we look forward to uh, bringing you more episodes in the future. And so, again, uh, as we started, uh, happy Eid, Eid Mubarak, and uh, thank you for listening as always. Mm-hmm. <laughs>